everyone. Amanda Grace here with you live. Hopefully, if you're if you're watching on all the other platforms, we're good. Um, I think we have to reconnect to Rumble. And so we will, I'm sure we will figure that out along the way here. So if you're watching, you can go to the other platforms. We're good. Okay. So we're good there. All right. Cause I, sometimes I watch the top corner and I see what goes on up there. Okay. So welcome to everyone. Sorry. I'm a little late. It's Cyrus came home yesterday. We're going to play the video for you in a few minutes. I'm going to open up in prayer first. The birds are out. They're actually on the top shelves right now. So there they are. There's Grace and Chet. Hopefully they behave themselves while mommy's doing this tonight. And uh, we got some serious stuff to talk about tonight. So I'm going to open up in prayer. Welcome to everybody who is watching around the United States and the world. Welcome to our moderators and our Ark of Grace team. Thank you for helping us do what we do for the Lord. So yes, it's been a little bit of a crazy day. Chris also got a crown on his tooth today and he's still half numb. So I've got Cyrus in a cone part of the time. And I've got Chris half numb right now. And so praise God, I'm still sane. That's all I can say. Praise God, I'm still sane after all of this. So let me open up in prayer and we'll get started. Father God, in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, we come before you. We praise you, Lord. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise due your name. You are high and lifted up far above every power, principality, and might. Father God, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise, Lord. You are on the highest throne. Father, we just humble ourselves before you this day, asking that the pull of the flesh becomes less in our lives, so you, your will, and your power become more in our lives. We acknowledge you sent your son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, to the earth, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the Passover lamb, the sacrifice for our sins. He willingly came to the earth to die, and he died at Calvary. He purchased us by the shedding of his blood. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. That blood dripped onto the mercy, mercy seat, and the transaction happened that day and purchased us back to our Father in heaven. Lord, we praise you. He rose again in three days, ascended back into heaven, took his rightful victorious place at the right hand of the Father, where he rules and reigns forevermore. And we just praise you, Father God, for that sacrifice. We honor that before your throne this day. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we invite your presence in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, Lord, to fill this place, to fill this room, that the weight of your glory would fall, that the power of your presence would move, Father God, that you would saturate the atmosphere, Lord, with your presence, Father God. We invite you in, Lord. You are welcome in this place. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, you would dispatch your holy angels of all rankings and divisions to surround and protect us as we go forth, Father God, to guard us, to keep us, Lord, to destroy the works of darkness and iniquity, Father God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we rebuke every plot scheme, contract, assignment, weaponry, blueprint, attack strategy that the enemy satanic agents, dark forces, Lord, unclean spirits, Father God, would attempt. And we command it be nullified, destroyed, aborted, canceled, and dismantled, Lord, bound and cast back to the dry places and pits and areas you have designated, Lord, to be bound there in the name of Jesus Christ and not return nor have anything sent in this place. Father, take all the glory for yourself. You are the potter, we are merely the clay. You are the author and finisher of our faith, Father God. You deserve all the glory, honor, and praise without your breath of life in us, Father God. We don't have life. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so before we get into this 
this um this spirit of Delilah, this spirit that surrounded the Philistines and and Delilah and what we're seeing within the nation and the church with this. Uh, Cyrus came home yesterday. Thank you so much for your prayers. He is home with us. Um, Chris is upstairs with him right now. Um, and uh, some of our uh, employees are still here. So they're upstairs as well with him. And uh, we actually have the video of not only him coming home, uh, coming out of the vet with us, but then we have the video of uh, Missy and Cyrus being reunited for the first time after him being away for days. So we'll play that for you now. Rich mama. <laughs> Hello. Courtney, look. Oh, hi, Cyrus. You gonna go home? <laughs> He's ready to go home for sure. Oh, they took such good care of you, didn't they? Okay, okay. I know. Oh, Mama missed you, Daddy. <laughs> okay, we're gonna head on our way soon. <laughs> Okay, Cyrus is home. Missy's going to see him for the first time. She's like, oh, my friend is here. Oh, what a happy little greeting. She missed you, Cyrus. Oh, they kissing each other. Hello. Be gentle, Missy, with him. No wrestling right now. Gentle girl. No, no, no. Stay away from that. Leave it. Oh, look how happy. She's like, oh, let's play. Yep. <laughs> Aww. Say, welcome home, Cyrus. You happy to be here? We're going to go inside? Yes? Oh, come on. Missy's going to take you inside. She's so excited. Toby's locked up because he incessantly barks. <laughs> come on. Oh, hold on, Cyrus. You ready? Cone up. Okay, good boy. <laughs> Oh, look how exciting. Cyrus is home. Oh, is Daddy coming? Oh, is Daddy coming? Oh, you miss Daddy too? Yes. Oh, it's so exciting. Look at Missy. She's just so excited. She doesn't even know what to do it herself right now. Look at her. Because her friend is home. Oh, welcome home, Cyrus. That was, that's the first time I'm seeing that actually, the whole video put together. Very, very sweet. We were thrilled to have him home. What happened is Cyrus had surgery and because he has a genetic issue with his immune system, uh, what happened was when he went off the five-day course of antibiotics, an infection just erupted uh, in his body and we got him to the vet on emergency and they admitted him actually because he needed IV medication at that point. So praise God, he's home. He's doing much better. The cone is not on him all the time. He gets it off to eat and to go outside. And if he's being a good boy and not touching uh, the the area of surgery, he gets it off as well. So he doesn't have it on all the time. We actually purchased a onesie for him that should be arriving by tonight that we can put him in instead of the cone. And so it'll protect the surgery area and help him. So thank you everyone for your prayers. Happy to have them home and uh, we'll keep, we'll keep you posted for sure. Okay. So 
Let's get into tonight what we're going to get into. Oh, my goodness gracious. There is quite a bit of notes here. There's about nine pages worth of notes that we're going to discuss. And basically, we're going to uh, some parts of scripture that go together. This is prophetic insight on patterns I'm seeing going on right now. Patterns I'm seeing in the nation, patterns I'm seeing in the church, just patterns that really resonate with what happened in scripture. And so we're going to start with Judges uh, chapter 13. So when I'm just going to say, in case I didn't say it when I prayed, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the spirit of the one true living God, may only the truth and power of almighty God with authority now come forth in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Okay. So we're starting in Judges chapter 13. And the book of Judges is an interesting conglomerate of the time when Israel did not have a king or a leader per se, and judges ruled the land. Uh, and it was an interesting cast of characters here that were judges in Israel during that time. In fact, it says there was no leader and everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no central moral leadership at that point in Israel. So in order to, to see this thread going on with this all begins with Samson. So we have to go to Judges chapter 13 to the account of Samson. And we see that Samson, it was his birth was prophesied uh, and he is a Nazarite, which means he took a vow. He cannot ever cut his hair. Uh, he cannot touch anything dead either. He cannot drink wine, I believe, is another uh, vow of the Nazarite. The touching of the unclean dead things we're going to get into because this is key here. So he's a Nazarite. And Samson is a bit of a loose cannon. He is a bit loose with his actions, his mouth. He doesn't have a whole lot of discipline in completely serving the Lord, as we will see. And this all begins when the scene is set that the Philistines are ruling the land. The Philistines are actually the oppressors now. They are ruling over Israel at this point. And what does Samson want to do when he becomes of marrying age? Well, he wants to marry a Philistine woman. He wants to marry one of the women of the oppressors. He wants to have a union with those who are oppressing Israel, which makes zero sense because he was raised up to help begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. So this is where the door is open for all other events to occur. Now, why would you ever want to marry into your oppressor's nation? Interesting thought, right? The Lord only allows this the first time. He doesn't allow the second and third installment of this that we're going to see. But the first time only, he allows this to happen um, in order for judgment to begin to be exacted on the Philistines and Samson to be raised up uh, to be a judge over Israel. He allows this union. He allows Samson to go near this Philistine woman who he, who he wants to marry. He allows the union to go sour. Now we're going to get into why it goes sour, why this is so important to what's going on now. So 
on the way to the, we'll call it the um, rehearsal dinner, shall we say, of this union, Samson gets into an altercation with a, uh, with a lion. And the spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson, I think, for the first time. And he tears the lion to shreds. He kills this lion. He obliterates it. Okay. So what happens is he, uh, he actually goes, the incident with the lion when this happens is he's going to speak to this woman's father about marrying her. So this is before the rehearsal dinner, because something very important happens at the rehearsal dinner. And so he goes to speak to, to this woman's father. So he tears this lion to shreds and kills it on the way there. On his way back from speaking with this woman and her father and her family, he sees this carcass of the lion that he killed on the way. And there is now a beehive in it with honey. Samson is not supposed to be touching what is dead or unclean. He's supposed to be staying away from these things. He's a Nazarite. He's also uh, not supposed to be cutting his hair. Okay, which we're going to get into. Satan many times will take what is spiritually dead, what is unclean, and offer it up to look sweet and tempting. This is what's happening here. So Samson goes and he touches this unclean carcass to retrieve out of it what he finds sweet. He touches what he's not supposed to. He goes near what he's not supposed to. He goes near what is unclean because there's something sweet in there that his flesh wants. He couldn't resist the temptation. Because Samson ultimately had an issue with impulse control. Samson did not like to submit. He had an issue with this. And when the Nazarite vow wasn't convenient, he would compromise and throw it to the side. He brought his parents that honey, never told them where it came from. Because he knew what they would do. They would call the priest. The priest would shave Samson's head. And he'd have to start all over again. So Samson is beginning early on to take part in these small deceptions. In these small compromises. In these small things he knows he's not supposed to be doing. Um, he has an issue with complete submission to the Lord. So all these smaller compromises paved the way for the string of bad choices to come to a crescendo and literally crash down on his life. I had a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Rick, actually send me notes that he had as well on Samson because he taught on him a while back. Uh, and so sent me notes on this as well, because there's so much of this that ties together. And we're going to get into that of what's going on right now in the nation. So the, the, the carcass of the lion and the honey are an overall prophetic depiction of Samson's life. Always desiring to touch and take what is unclean, what is spiritually dead, the Philistines, because to him it looks sweet, meaning the Philistine women, and is satisfying in the flesh. So this depiction of the lion with this dead lion with a beehive in it and, and, and honey is a perfect depiction of Samson's life. And Samson was supposed to be a judge over Israel. So the Lord is raising him up in, in the middle of all of this happening to be a judge of Israel. How many leaders and judges do we see right now who are living their lives the same way? who are getting too close and touching what they shouldn't, going near what they never should have gone near, doing what they shouldn't, because there is an alluring sweet element to it that their flesh 
wants because they're all doing what's right in their own eyes, not in God's eyes. See, that was that's what was going on at the time of the judges in Israel. They were all doing what was right in their own eyes. There is a a man, he was one of the most wicked men, and his name was Alester Crowley. And he said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Do whatever you want, and that's the law. Do what's ever right in your own eyes, and that's the law. This is what was going on in Israel. How many women, spirits, seducing spirits through women do we see out there attempting to take down leadership after one way or another they have worked their way near them? Or work their way in with them? That's a good question, and we're going to get back to that. Now, there is a point in Judges chapter 13 where Samson takes the jawbone, it says the jawbone of an ass, the jawbone of a donkey, of a dead donkey, and he kills a thousand Philistine men. This is after his marriage goes sour. Um, He makes a a foolish bet with the Philistines that he loses. Um, and, And this animosity and this war begins to build between Samson and the Philistines. So in Judges chapter 13, there's a point where Samson picks up the jawbone of an ass, the jawbone of a dead donkey. And he's holding it. And it's at a place called Lehi. And the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon Samson. Now, he's not supposed to be touching what is dead and unclean. So look at the irony here. You know, look at the hypocrisy. The spirit of the Lord is coming upon him and he's literally picking up what is dead and unclean to slay the Philistines while the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And he kills a thousand men. He picked up what was dead, what he was not supposed to touch and killed men that already were spiritually dead. Now, ironically, he didn't even need the jawbone to do this or any weapon to win that battle because the spirit of the Lord was upon him. He shouldn't be looking to touch what is unclean to accomplish what the Lord wants him to accomplish. So after that battle, Samson raises the jawbone and sings a very self-serving, self-praising song. With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of an ass, I have slain a thousand men. Not God, not the spirit of the Lord. I, Samson, have done all of this. I, me, me, myself, and I, Samson. So what he was really saying was, with something dead that I'm not even supposed to touch, I did this great feat. He totally cuts God out of the equation in this completely, gives him no credit, gives him no glory. In fact, he renames the place where this happened, Lehi, actually Ramoth Lehi, which means elevation of the jawbone or jawbone hill. He even credits the jawbone. He credits the dead jawbone of the dead donkey before God. And he even renames the place not after the Lord, not after the spirit of the Lord, not after Ruach Elohim, but he renames the place Jawbone Hill. So everybody's getting the credit for this victory, but God. Samson's giving himself credit. The dead donkey's getting credit. Everybody else is getting credit, but God. Doesn't that sound familiar? Okay, let's move on. So what's the jawbone? 
What's the jawbone of the donkey? It is the bone that moves the mouth. It's right here, right? On animals and people. The jawbone. It is the bone that literally moves the mouth up and down. And I will tell you that too many people in leadership, in the church, in ministries, have picked up a jawbone of an ass and have allowed them to speak. Have touched what they shouldn't, have picked up what they shouldn't, have picked up a dead jawbone and allowed it to speak and allowed it to do feats it shouldn't have and compromised. Too many have done this. We're seeing it happen right now and we're seeing the effects of it. We have to understand that People's mouths can be open tombs. That jawbone was dead. People's mouths can be open tombs. And instead, you know, of moving in an anointing that's of the spirit of the Lord, they move sometimes in the pathetic. They move sometimes in the annoying. They move sometimes in in ways that the Lord never authorized because the Lord never said a thing to a dead jawbone. The Lord doesn't speak to a dead jawbone. The Lord didn't authorize Samson to take that jawbone and to pick it up and to use it the way he did. But you know what happened? When he touched the dead carcass of the lion and didn't get in trouble and nothing happened, now he thinks he can go for the decaying jawbone and use it as well. So now we're going to stay on this for a moment, right? Because donkeys are associated with the stubborn and the foolish. They're associated with the stubborn and the foolish. Right now, we have a decaying jawbone in the White House that is being utilized as a mouthpiece and figure to do destructive exploits to the people of this nation. Right now, we have those in Congress on the Congress floor attempting to utilize what is dead to further their agendas. Jawbones that are nothing more than empty tombs when they speak. Right now, we have those in ministry who are speaking things that are dead. The life and power of the Lord are not on them. The authority is not there. The power is not there because they are coming from the flesh and dead places. These graveyards of sort that have come into existence in their lives and ministries. Sometimes others want to bring what is dead near you. Sometimes others want to bring things that are unclean near you. And it's all meant to get you in bondage and bring your demise. The jawbone of this dead donkey is a perfect depiction of what we see happening now. The jawbones of DAs, of judges, of judges in New York City, in volatile parts of the nation. The jawbone is being utilized from D.C., from areas of the church for foolish exploits and prognosticating on their soapboxes. 
One hard kick to that soapbox that is so unstable. Volatile soapboxes in which they stand with jawbones that really are speaking no life. And that combination causes those eventually to fall from their platforms. There is a reason I'm speaking this right now. There is a reason I'm saying this because we're seeing this come out full force in this hour and we're going to get even deeper into this now. We might as well call Washington, D.C. Jawbone Hill. Because with things these senators and congressmen shouldn't be touching, with unclean things they shouldn't be going near, with deals they shouldn't be making, with mouths that don't speak life, they think they're doing mighty exploits. And they're not. They're doing very destructive things. They're making compromises they shouldn't. They're going near what they shouldn't. They're overstepping their power to get things they want. Interestingly enough, a jawbone of a donkey um, is used to kill in Judges. And then in the book of Numbers, that jawbone of a donkey is opened by the Lord to speak, which is a very interesting concept. Numbers chapter 22, verses 22 through 33. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. They're talking about Balaam. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Verse 23. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, it's interesting. It's the number three, right? Um, because Peter denied Jesus three times. Um, there was betrayal there. Balaam is betraying this very loyal donkey and striking her three times. Uh, the number three, it, it just is a, it's an interesting thread throughout scripture in the word. Verse 29, and Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have written ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me. He's saying the donkey had more sense and fear in, in me than you do, Balaam. 
these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. So this is a very interesting depiction here as well, where the jawbone of the donkey is open to speak. And Balaam and this donkey have a very interesting dialogue. And Balaam was so perverse and compromised, he could not see the angel of the Lord standing there waiting to strike him, but the donkey could. And the donkey had more sense to stop and to not go near the angel of the Lord than Balaam himself did. So it's a very interesting depiction where the jawbone of the donkey is used in judges to kill a thousand Philistines and the donkey's jawbone is opened up here in numbers to literally save Balaam's life. Even though his way was perverse, the Lord said to him, your way is perverse. And had that donkey kept going towards me, I would have struck you. Interesting. So let's go back now. In both Samson and Balaam's case, they are defiling themselves by consistently touching and having relations with what is unclean while claiming to serve a holy God. So that's the common thread there. They have the common thread of the donkey and and the jawbone, and they have the common thread of they both want to touch and be involved with affairs with what they shouldn't. Now we're going to go back to Samson and Delilah. That unclean act of touching, touching the honey in the carcass, touching the first Philistine woman, Touching the prostitute that Samson had relations with before Delilah, I believe it was. And then finally touching and marrying Delilah. Of constantly desiring what is unclean, what is forbidden. Forbidden. And constantly wanting to go near it because he could. Because he thought no one could challenge him. Because he thought because of his strength and the hair that was on his head that helped keep that vow that nobody, who was going to stop him? Who was going to stop him? He killed a thousand Philistines with a, with a dead jawbone of a donkey. Who was going to stop him? So he got this mentality of, I'm above the law. And I don't have to totally follow God's laws and I can do what I want and I can touch what is forbidden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil all over again. Samson is told not to touch what is unclean, not to intermarry Philistine women, not to give up the source of his strength. And he falls to the lulling and seducing of the serpent that we will get into. It's the same thing. It's the tree all over again, except the forbidden this time is the Philistine women. A seducing spirit at work. Many times, I'm going to tell you this too, which is interesting. Mermaids are associated with seducing spirits. Dagon, the Philistines' main god that they worship, Dagon was half man, half fish. It was a mermaid. This was the Philistines' main god, the god that the Philistines later on will give the honor to for the capture of Samson. The Philistine women were pagan, seducing, unclean, driven by an ambition that was not of God, and many of them involved in prostitution and illicit affairs. The Delilahs, the deceptive lulling, the subtlety of the Delilahs, they are attempting to cut right now, and I'm going to say this, they are attempting to cut many men's hair right now. These seducing spirits 
working through certain people and entities are attempting to cut off many men's hair right now and take that position of leadership, that covering from them, that call from them that's on their life. The Delilahs, the seductresses, those involved in illicit things. Delilah attempting to hand Samson over to the Philistine lords for a payout. This is what was going on. By the time Samson is married to Delilah, she is in cahoots with the Philistine lords to literally hand him over for a very nice payout. Doesn't that sound familiar? Both Samson and these leaders have something in common. The Lord was not in the rightful place as head of their lives, as Lord of their lives. They were not completely submitted. Samson was not completely submitted to the Lord, nor was he submitted to that vow. He thought he could at will just go in and out as he pleased and weave in and out of his submission to the Lord and of his submission to the vow. They never heeded the voice of the Lord when it came to going near women. They should have never been involved with in the first place. So Samson and leadership didn't heed the the, the first warning, didn't heed the second warning, didn't heed the third warning. People they should have never been near in the first place. This is this seducing spirit. This is what it is. It's it's swirled around the Philistines. Um, and we're seeing it out in full force today. We are seeing this happen in our nation. We are seeing this happen in the church. We are seeing this happen. This spirit has gone out and done a basic full court press. So now that seducing spirit. That's that surrounded and swarmed around Delilah and utilized her. And the Philistine women was methodical, subtle, and deceptive. Delilah literally portrays the picture of the loving, caring wife that really cares for Samson and really wants this honest relationship with him. And, oh, you don't really love me if you don't tell me the source of your strength. That is manipulation. That is the work of a seductress as she was in partnership with the Philistine lords for Samson's destruction. But this, oh, I want a really honest relationship. And if you don't tell me, you don't really love me because we need to be open and honest with each other. And all of that was coming from a place of total deception, of total, I'm going to get you good and vulnerable and in a vulnerable position just to come back and destroy you because it benefits me. That is that spirit in a nutshell. And Samson in his arrogance and false security of being untouchable, of being the man, toys with Delilah as she's trying to seduce him, get the truth out of him. He's lying to her. He's toying with her. It's a very sick relationship. She's trying to seduce him. He's lying to her. He's playing with fire. He has gone to that dead place and touched that dead jawbone of an ass all over again. She 
is the dead jawbone. She is seeking death for him. She is seeking to destroy him. And he's gone back to touch that all over again, except this time it will subdue him, not the other way around. Because that is what Delilah was, speaking destruction as it came off like honey. And there's the picture back of the lion carcass with the honey. It's dead. It's speaking destruction, but it's coming off like honey. However, instead of Samson utilizing that jawbone to kill the Philistines, that spiritually dead jawbone of Delilah would be utilized to lull him into complete compromise and bring his demise. Delilah used a tactic that Samson's first wife used on him. The first marriage to the Philistine that went sour, the whining, the nagging, the crying, the pouting, the saying, you don't love me if you don't tell me. You don't love me if you don't tell me the riddle, Samson. That was the first wife when he gave the Philistines the riddle um, about the dead lion, the carcass and the honey. And they pressured the Philistine wife into getting the answer from Samson. So they didn't have to pay Samson 30, I think changes of clothing. And instead he would have to give it to them. And she started with the same thing. You don't love me. If you don't tell me, Oh, please tell me, Oh, we're married. You have to tell me. And all of his strength, able to fight thousands of warriors, Samson succumbed to the will of a passive aggressive narcissist who always saw him as a means to the end as a means to her payout, as a means to pleasing her lords and her God, Dagon. He was literally, Samson joined in a union with someone who serves Dagon, a demonic deity, an enemy of almighty God. He is sleeping with the enemy. He literally is joined in a union now with Dagon when he is supposed to be serving the Lord. We see this depicted in the same way with Joseph's brothers selling him, with Judas consulting the Pharisees for the price of binding Jesus. Same concept. Over and over, we see the seducing and the side that partners with the seducing to bring one to demise, who many times overlooks the obvious in the name of self-exploits. Or in Jesus's case, he willingly surrendered to die for us. But as far as Samson, as far as Joseph, as far as others, as far as leadership now, they overlook the obvious in the name of self-exploits. Now, back to the lion carcass with the honey for a moment. It's dead. It's spiritually dead. It brings nothing positive into your life. However, the honey within it is the temptation. It's not the carcass. It's what the carcass holds. That's the temptation. It's not worth going near the dead and unclean to retrieve what is temptingly sweet because it is a snare. In the case of Samson and Delilah, she appears, appears is the key word, trustworthy, like she has his best interest at heart, like she has your best interest as heart. However, she is a Philistine, a seductress, 
She is in the flesh and solely in it for herself. The desire to cut Samson's hair to receive wealth and influence amongst the lords was her driving force to do what she did. She had no respect for the marriage. She had no respect for Samson. She had no fear of Almighty God. The driving force to cut his hair and strip him of his strength and ultimately his vision, and we're going to get into that, was the wealth and influence the Philistine lords dangled before her. Today, I will tell you, the dictionary defines a Philistine as a crass, prosaic, often priggish individual guided by material rather than intellectual values. This is the definition. Belonging to a despised class, one deficient in originality or aesthetic sensitivity. That is the dictionary definition today of a Philistine. Now, this is going on in ministry as well. This is going on in the church as well. You shall see, if you don't already see, you will see it because it will come out more, but it will become blatantly clear. This seducing spirit lurks to cut the hair of leadership and has lulled its way into the church. And good, godly men, although there's nobody good but God, but God-fearing men who look in ways to, what happens is they look to, to attach or attempt to unlawfully attach to take that covering and cut the hair of godly men. However, they are really out to control, overtake, and steal the anointing in the ministry that they were given by God to steward. It was not given to them. They are attempting to take and benefit from what the Lord has given on to somebody else, to capitalize off of it. They, they're doing this in leadership as well. This only is not in the church, but this is in leadership as well. This is right now in the battle of, for the presidency as well. And we're going to get into that in a moment. We're seeing this. We're seeing this common thread. We're seeing this air. We're seeing this aroma. We're seeing this very subtle seductiveness it started as. Now it has turned into a weapon of mass destruction. That is what happened. The seduction of Delilah started subtle and turned into a weapon of mass destruction. If you think about it, it's the same thread in Acts 16. And I'm going to read Acts 16, chapter 6. Uh, no, Acts 16, verse 6 through verse 18. It happened that as we were on our way to the place of prayer, you were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. That is a demonic spirit claiming to foretell the future and discover hidden knowledge. And she brought her owners a good profit by fortune telling. She followed after Paul and us and kept screaming and shouting, these men are servants of the most high God. They are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for several days. Then Paul being really greatly annoyed and worn out. Paul, okay, this is the key here. When Samson got greatly annoyed and worn out from being pursued by a woman, he gave in to her. But this same seductive spirit is following Paul. And it says, then Paul being greatly annoyed and worn out, 
turned and said to the spirit inside her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. And when they had brought them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men who are Jews are throwing our city into confusion and causing trouble. They are publicly teaching customs which are unlawful for us as Romans to accept or observe. So when Paul becomes worn out, he turns and goes, come out in the name of Jesus. He doesn't become worn out and give in to her and let that demon begin to work even more on him to destroy him. He turns. That's the difference. That's the difference between being led of the Lord and being led of the flesh. Samson was led of the flesh. When he got worn out, he turned and gave in because he was led of the flesh and out of the spirit to Delilah. When Paul got worn out, he turned and rebuked the spirit when he couldn't take it anymore. And he stood his ground. He gave up nothing. Samson gave it all up. What he wasn't supposed to tell. Who he wasn't supposed to be near. And the city of Gaza where he wasn't supposed to be. Because it was Philistine territory. He gets worn down. And this man that has subdued over a thousand Philistines in one strike. A man that has done so much damage to the Philistines succumbs to the persistence of a woman. Think about that. That's seduction. It's subtle. It is methodical. It is persistent. It is diligent. The seducing spirit is a diligent demon. And when this demon diligently went to work on Paul and he tired of it, he turned around and rebuked it and called it out. A lot of these men in leadership, they don't have that. They allow people too close. Leadership right now in the nation allow people too close and don't have the spiritual means to rebuke it. Don't have the spiritual means to recognize that this seduction is a highly destructive spirit looking to take them down while complimenting them to their face. They need to see that because all the power and all the name and all the wealth is no match for this seducing spirit because it's of the spirit. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles and the schemings of the devil. This is a scheme the devil has been using since the fall of the garden. And it's very effective and it's very precise. And men that are too much in the flesh are an easy target for it. Because they wrap around their lives and put them in bondage. They subtly begin to circle and wrap until they've got them completely in bondage. Until they've got them in compromising positions. Until they've gotten them too close to them where they're vulnerable. And they don't turn around like Paul and rebuke the spirit. 
they give in to the dead carcass that's got the honey in it. And this is going on right now. Let's go on. In the political arena, they're attempting to cut the hair of so many right now. You see them trying to cut the hair of Trump, Jim Jordan, Tucker Carlson, and others trying to cut their hair. Those seducing spirits are working overtime. I had a dream about Tucker Carlson. I spoke about this. It was when I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma weeks ago. And it involved a seducing spirit. And it was looking to destroy him. And that's why I had said on that interview that I did with Mr. Steve Strang of Charisma Media to pray for Tucker Carlson. And that was before the news broke. Five days before the news broke, I think it was, about what Fox News did to him. I had that dream. It's looking to cut the hair of men. It is looking for the opportunity to get them in a compromising position. It is looking for the opportunity to get around them. And in their flesh and vulnerability, allow it to come back and destroy them. Keep praying for Tucker Carlson. I'm telling you something very interesting. I'm going to digress for a minute. In that dream, Greta Van Susteren appeared. She came in backstage. I'm not going to say the whole dream, but I'm going to tell you she came in backstage quietly observing and watching Tucker. I think Greta Van Susteren is on Newsmax. I believe she's on Newsmax. And she came in and she snuck in backstage, very quiet, wasn't making a ruckus, wasn't doing anything, and she entered into that room and observed. And I find that very interesting, that she was towards the end of that dream. Um, And I don't know quite why yet she was placed there. I know she is an anchor on Newsmax, but just watch. That's all I'm going to say. Pray and watch. I'm going to pray. Oh my gosh, somebody wrote she's on right now. I'm sp- I have no clue, basically, the lineup at Newsmax because I don't watch. And uh, Maybelle Kelly goes, she's on right now. Well, isn't that nice? Oh my goodness gracious. Okay, what timing? Praise God, what timing? Okay, so I couldn't have planned that if I, I like, honestly, that's just hysterical. Okay, let's move on. So this place where Delilah seduces Samson is called Gaza. Gaza has been a hotbed of activity. The Gaza Strip to this day, explosive. Gaza, the very place where Samson had relations. Actually, no, Gaza is the place where Samson um, stops. um, I'm going to try to put this nicely. Stops at the Motel 6. Where, the, where there's a prostitute. And this this is in scripture. The Motel 6 isn't, but but he stops and, and, and does something that he shouldn't with the prostitute in this place called Gaza. Gaza is where he's ultimately imprisoned. Isn't that interesting? 
He goes and he touches what is unclean and dead and has relations with it because it's sweet to his flesh in a place called Gaza, which is the very place he is imprisoned. Interestingly enough, Gaza means strong city. So Gaza means strong city. So Samson succumbs in a strong city when he was supposed to be strong himself. Now, he would be utilized, Samson, by the Lord one more time to destroy the temple of Dagon, which was in Gaza. It is ironic that while the Philistines are praising Dagon for Samson's capture, they capture Samson, they blind him, um, they cut his hair, they put him to work in the mills, in the prisons. And so this is all, I believe this all happens in Gaza. Now, Samson's hair begins to grow after time. So he goes into a period of bondage because of his decisions. His hair begins to grow and he starts to regain his strength. And there is one more act here in a prophetic act that destroys Dagon and his followers. So the Lord utilizes Samson one more time after everything's been stripped from him. When his hair was growing back and the Philistines had forgotten all about the hair and the strength and Delilah had forgotten all about the hair and the strength. They had forgotten all about it by this point. A warning to leadership in the political arena and in ministry. Do not go so deep with these temptations and alluring and seducing circumstances that you lose everything, finding yourself in total bondage for a season, stripped of your strength and you lose your vision. And vision is capitalized. Your ability to see circumstances correctly, your vision, your ability to see correctly what the Lord is doing. Your ability to see the plans of the enemy correctly, that is your vision. When you look more with the eyes of the flesh rather than the spirit, you lose sight of the predator that is moving and circling around you through that person or circumstance. Because you are stripped of your vision. You're stripped of it. While I was praying and writing the rest of this out today, this is what I wrote. Make America Great Again is about to get a hard adjustment before the Lord. And hard is capitalized because it's needed. It's needed right now. There's an adjustment that is needed before the Lord. And sometimes I have to say these things. You know why? Because I have to say it. The Lord shows it. I have to say it. It's as simple as that. But that has to happen. That is going to happen. It's probably already in the process of happening. Now, back to Dagon for a minute, because we're going to go back to Dagon, because he ties into a lot of things. So... One of Dagon's best documented functions was guaranteeing abundant harvests of grain. However, he was not an agricultural false god, but rather in the source of prosperity in general. 
abundant harvest of grain. What did Samson catch to destroy their grain harvest? He caught 300 foxes, right? There's a fox in the hen house. There's a fox in the hen house. Samson catches 300 foxes. And he lights a fire and ties it to their tails. And they go running through the Philistines' grain fields and destroy all of that grain that they thought Dagon gave them and all of their food supply. And he destroys it. And he makes an enormous dent in it. What they thought Dagon gave them, half man, half fish, gave them Samson with foxes. Now, foxes normally represent what? Slyness, deception, things of that nature. With that, he destroys their grain fields, which I'm not thrilled what Samson did to the foxes, but this is what happened. Um, do we find it strange that Star the Starbucks logo is half man, half fish, and provides all sorts of alluring sweet treats? Do we find this strange? Same concept reworked to cause a modern-day society to accept it. The Little Mermaid. Look at the Little Mermaid's father in the Disney movie. Looks like Dagon. Go find a picture of Dagon, and then go look at the Little Mermaid's father in the Disney movie. It's the same. Reworked to make something dead, to make something seducing, to make something unclean, look sweet and tempting to a modern-day society. That's what's going on. Just to give you a few other examples of, of seeing this, you know, kind of steeping in society. I'm telling you, it's so funny. Every time I walk past the Starbucks, I look at it and I look at Chris and I go, I hate that mermaid. And I keep walking. And Chris looks at me every time and he rolls his eyes because he knows I'm going to say it. Chris knows I'm going to say it. Every time I walk by, I hate that mermaid. Okay. You know why too? Because mermaids and those things and Dagon is part of a division of the kingdom of darkness called the marine kingdom. You've got the powers of the air. You've got the marine kingdom. And they are very seducing in nature. Highly destructive. Highly technologically advanced creatures that serve in the kingdom of darkness. And they love to push things into the earthly realm and put them as ideas in willing vessels' minds to create them and further their agenda on earth. Some people have even described them as being highly tattooed. Highly tattooed with all of their who they serve or whatever on them. So interestingly enough, that's part of a division of the kingdom of darkness. So no wonder the Philistines were serving it. Because the whole point is to oppress the people of God. Two times in scripture, the Lord exacts judgment upon Dagon and the Philistines, where Dagon is directly involved. One is in the book of Judges with Samson, when Samson at the end asked the Lord for strength one more time, and he asked to die with the Philistines, and he literally pushes the pillars, destroys the entire temple of Dagon, and kills thousands of people. That was one. Two is in 1 Samuel 5, where the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant from Israel, put it before Dagon, 
And the Lord kept throwing Dagon on his face and breaking body parts off and then started afflicting them with rats, rodents, and tumors till they gave the covenant back. Uh, in both instances, the Philistines foolishly bring their captive from Israel before Dagon. They don't learn. There's a pattern here. Both times they were severely struck. So the Philistines went out looking to seduce and destroy. Both times they took what they captured from Israel and put it before Dagon. And both times they severely were struck and suffered for it because the Lord struck them. So there are two things running parallel here. The Philistines want to take what is the Lord's to capture it and to subdue it. And Samson wants to touch what which is not of God, what is unclean, and take it for himself and have relations with it. So there's a parallel running here between Samson and the Philistines. They want to seduce to destroy. Samson wants to touch what is dead. So, however, both times with Samson and with the Ark of the Covenant um, that they were taken from Israel, both times when Samson and the Ark were taken because Israel went into battle out of order. They were in rebellion, were compromising on multiple fronts, which led to a loss of vision. They were very much compromised spiritually, out of order before the Lord, and could not see or hear clearly from the Lord what they were supposed to do. Moving on. Delilah for money helps hand Samson over to the Philistines who cut his hair, bind him, take away his eyes so he loses sight of what he should be doing. However, he lost his spiritual sight first. So the first victory for this spirit is to get somebody to lose their spiritual sight. He loses track of the spirit and what Ruach Elohim, the spirit of the living God, was showing him. He lost sight of who was the real enemy, the oppressor of Israel, and the oppressor ended up in his marital bed. When your oppressor is sharing your bed and your home, bondage comes with chains and does the rest. The thief comes to seal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. The thief that came in the form of seducing the seducing flesh of a Philistine woman, when really it was the spirit behind it, is what was utilized to take Samson's strength in his vision. See, the difference between Jezebel and Delilah is you know Jezebel wants to destroy you. Jezebel makes it ever so clear that she cannot stand you and wants to destroy you. Delilah is very subtle and methodical and acts like they actually love you or like you when ultimately their goal is to destroy you. That is the difference between Jezebel in scripture and Delilah. What are they attempting to take from this nation right now? It's strength. It's covenant. We, the people, the covenant we have with the Lord, and it's vision, the eagle. The eagle has the sharpness of vision. The eagle can fly high and see over a vast span of land. The strength and the vision they are trying to take from the nation and bind it up. That's what they're trying to do right now. That's what they are desperately trying to completely accomplish and see it through. 
They're trying to take the vision to see and do the right and moral thing before God and the covenant we have made before him. What they are attempting to take from leaders right now, their strength and their vision. Who is involved in that as well? Delilah's, that nobody should ever be near to begin with. See, that's the whole issue. You shouldn't be near them to begin with. You shouldn't be colluding with them to begin with. You shouldn't be touching them to begin with. That is where the crack in the armor happens. What did they try to take for others from others that they have tried to go after? And I'm going to name some here. Their strength, their influence, their reach. That spirit has gone forth to cut their hair, steal their strength, and make sure their vision is compromised. What did they do to Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh when he was going through his confirmation hearings? Paraded women out who had conspired with the lords to take his strength and his vision so he could not fill that seat with the Supreme Court. Interesting. There's that number three again. There's that number three. We see this thread of this happening more and more. There's a certain case involving Trump right now, and he's being accused by, I believe it's three women. So there's that thread of three. For some reason, too, all of these women always seem to be Democrats. I don't know. Very strange thread here. Um, but it just seems to be a pattern here. And I'm going to say this. Do you tell me right now how many Democratic Congress leaders and senators and governors are having relations with people they shouldn't, are letting people into their marital bed they shouldn't, things they should be nowhere near, people they should be nowhere near, and nobody blinks an eye at it. Nobody mentions it. You know why? Because they're colluding with the Lords. And as long as they're colluding with the Lords, no one's going to say boo about it. They're going to collude with the Lords and they're going to get a nice little chunk of whatever. And they are going to have all of their sins covered up. Interestingly enough with Samson, he lets these other two Philistine women groom the way for Delilah to ultimately get into his home, into his life, and be joined in a marriage. So there was a string of other decisions that led to Delilah. Delilah didn't just happen. There were a string of compromising and bad decisions that happened before we get to Delilah. There is a cobblestone's worth a path of all of this, of these types of decisions that lead to this happening. This isn't just one bad decision and Delilah happens. This is a string of bad decisions, a string of ignoring warnings from the Lord, a string of self-arrogance that brings this crescendo to Delilah, where then the guard over time gets completely brought down and brings a systematic destruction and destroys who they were supposed to be in the Lord.
Oh, I thought Chris was coming in. Pride seems to be a running thread in a lot of these court cases. That's Missy. That is Missy trying to get in right now. That is what's going on in back of me. And that's what I hear. Okay, Amanda, stay focused because Missy's trying to get in right now. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Samson's pride and arrogance was through the roof that paved the way of destruction. Delilah was certainly proud of herself that she had schemed enough to cut Samson's hair and got her payout for it. There is a thread here that is running, running through many arenas to have Samson paraded out amongst all the Philistines to make a mockery of him, all because that spiritual discipline with him was not there. His flesh completely controlled his decisions, and that is where Delilah's bring a snare. That is where that snare is brought. That is where pride paves the way for destruction, and a haughty spirit paves the way before a fall. Delilah and Potiphar's wife in the book of Genesis have the same character traits. So what, what happened with Joseph, with Potiphar's wife, where she attempted to um, compromise Joseph and Joseph wouldn't do it. What did she do? She tried to destroy Joseph. She made up a cockamamie story that he tried to assault her when he had never done anything disrespectful, you know, ever to Potiphar or his wife. And she makes up this story that he tried to assault her, right? He tried to, um, you know, physically overcome her and Joseph gets put in prison for it. He gets accused. He gets accused of assault. He gets accused of doing something he didn't do. Joseph may have done other things and he may have been a little too haughty with his brothers and a little too proud and a little too brazen and a little too this, but he didn't do this. But Delilah and Potiphar's wife have the same traits. They look to seduce in order to destroy. That is the common thread here. Whereas Potiphar's wife wanted to have this illicit relationship with Joseph behind Potiphar's back, Delilah is already married to Samson and sought to destroy her own husband for gain. So Potiphar's wife sought to destroy Joseph for not succumbing to the advances. Whereas Delilah wanted to destroy Samson because they were already married and she had that, she had that bond with him in order to allure him, to destroy him. But it's the same spirit, same spirit operating in different circumstances. Darkness and light ultimately do not mix. They do not mix. Darkness and light do not mix. So that is the theme of this entire thread. When you mix darkness with light, you give darkness an advantage that dims the light. You give darkness an advantage that dims the light in your own life, that dims what you're able to see, that dims what you're able to hear, that dims the conscience that does all of this thing. So this is what's going on. 
This is what's going on. And I figured because I'm seeing these court cases right now and I'm seeing all of this go on. I'm seeing this happen. And I said, you know what? I was talking to Barbara about it. And she goes, Amanda, you need to do a teaching about it. And Judges chapter 13 is a perfect teaching for what we're seeing happen in the nation, for what we're seeing, you know, happen in leadership, for what for these things that we're seeing. It's 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 it really fits right in. And I a couple of weeks ago was talking to Barbara about this, about um Samson and Delilah, and we were talking about it. And so I had been marinating on, on this for a couple of weeks. And now um, I thought I'd do the teaching on it because I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing it in the media. I'm seeing what they're doing to Clarence Thomas. I'm seeing what they're, you're seeing this seducing spirit out in full force. I'm seeing what's going on with these trials with Trump. I'm seeing all of this happen. And I'm seeing this thread and I'm seeing what's happening. And I'm seeing these dead jawbones being given credit for things. And I'm seeing them utilized in ways they shouldn't. And I'm seeing this. So praise God, praise God. I just thought this was a this was the right time to do this teaching. And so this will probably be a uh, to be continued teaching based on what we see happening in the nation, based on what we see happening in the court system. Based on things that come out in the open, this will probably be a to be continued teaching because there's a lot to this. And I think we're kind of only scratching the surface with some of this. So praise the Lord. God bless. Keep the faith. We're at an hour and 14 minutes already. So we love you. Armor up according to Ephesians 6. The birds <laughs> say bye. And um have a wonderful rest of your evening, everyone. We will be back on, um, I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, but it'll be soon. It might be early next week, but we will be back on. If anything breaking comes on, if anything happens, we will certainly let you know. So God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Hello, everyone. This is Amanda Grace, and I wanted to tell you, if you are interested in where you should invest financial matters, if Precious metals, if gold and silver is something that you should invest in or should be a part of your portfolio, please go to bh-pm.com. That is bh-pm.com. Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Andrew Sorcini, who has been on Art of Grace before, he loves to answer our viewers' questions, is more than happy to guide you and to answer your questions and to help you in those financial matters. So please go to bh-pm.com today. Thank you, everyone. God bless. You want to support an amazing patriot that's doing so much for our country and be a blessing, you can go to mypillow.com and use promo code ARK, A-R-K, to save up to 66% or sometimes more off of all MyPillow products. They are so much more than just pillows. They have amazing bathrobes, they have sheets, they have slippers, they of course have pillows, and they even have dog beds. And I will tell you a fun fact, Noble, our pig at the animal sanctuary that many of you know and love, has indeed slept on a MyPillow dog bed. So if you'd like to be a blessing, go to MyPillow.com and use promo code ARC. God bless everyone. If you are looking for an excellent doctor, if you are looking to get healthier, if you are looking for guidance, go to Sherwood.tv 
forward slash Amanda Grace. Dr. Mark Sherwood and his lovely wife, Dr. Michelle, have the Functional Medical Institute in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Both myself and my husband, Chris, and let me tell you, God bless Dr. Sherwood because Chris was a tough nut to crack on this. But Chris is finally on board and we are both patients of his. I have to tell you, they have helped us tremendously. They also have an amazing line of products that are excellent for your health and can help you get your health back on track. So if you would like to make an appointment with them or you want to go see uh, what they are all about, what products they have, you can go to Sherwood.tv forward slash Amanda Grace. If you would like to grow your own food with what we see going on right now in the world with not only food supplies, but what they are doing to our food, you can go to amandagracegrows.com. These are amazing hydroponic growers. In fact, we have one in our parrot room, and this is an indoor one we have where you can grow food all year round, actually. Vegetables all year round, and we are doing that actually for our birds and our animals at our sanctuary they also have outdoor ones they actually yield 30 percent more and grow the vegetables three times faster so if you would like to learn more go to amandagracegrows.com god bless and i have to tell you something they work it is an alternative to big pharma based on quantum physics, over 40 scripture verses written into these patches for everything from blood sugar, anxiety, pain, neuropathy, to immune system boost, dog pain. They are very sincere about um, having alternatives to big pharma. We are a big advocate of natural solutions to help with pain and, and, and blood sugar and a host of other issues. I yeah. tried the pain patches and yeah, I gave them I to my uh, VP of operations also, Ronnie. And she said they worked as well. She was yeah. quite shocked, actually, but she said they worked so, and they worked when I used them. When you connect it to your body, the skin patch changes your brainwaves. This one is neuropathy. I actually have it on and we use this on Toby, actually, because Toby's about eight years old. And from being paralyzed years ago and the Lord miraculously healing him, he has a little leftover with his joints and his hips. So we actually give him the doggy pain patches. What was he doing? He was running? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I plucked him out and wow, he's boom. And he got power. I said, no way. And I don't know. I said, Amanda, what? What did you do to him? To <laughs> so it's good. Hello everyone, it's Amanda Grace. I'm coming to you today to talk to you about Reawaken America. I have been humbled and honored to be a part of Reawaken America since April 2021 when the first one was had at Rima Bible College in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I have to say, I have watched so many amazing moments happen for the glory of God at Reawaken America and seeds get planted in the lives of those that are still seeking the Lord. We have seen many people uh, get set free, healed, 
delivered. Uh, we love to pray over people at Reawaken America. Um, I have prayed with so many uh, amazing people, which include Marty Grisham from Lamar Prayer, Prayer, Pastor Todd Coconado, uh, who also deals in deliverance as well. And it has been uh, an honor and a privilege to pray for so many people, to be able to minister to them, for my husband Chris to be able to minister as well, and uh, for, for Clay and General Flynn to allow me to, to even speak there, to even speak and, and speak what the Lord has to say. People need the word of the Lord in this hour. That is what they need. Uh, and so reawaken america has been a chance for people to come and not only hear the word of the lord um and hear biblical teaching and be prayed for but also to get necessary information they need because the word of god says it is the knowledge of the truth that will set you free um and so it's been an incredible experience for us we hope to see you at upcoming events uh, that are coming up this year. Uh, and we are excited to see you there. God bless everyone. This is one of the greatest movements I've ever seen and been a part of. I literally go to President Trump's rallies. I speak there. I speak on his bus tours. This reawakened tour is literally what it means. It has reawakened the American heart. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the goal. You know the, you know the thing. We will shut you down. We will cite you, and if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail, period. I wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights when we did this. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. God actually spoke to me. He spoke about sacredness. He said to me, Kim, what I place in many, many people is sacred. And if anybody touches what is sacred to me, then it is the end for them. So what I've done in the United States of America is sacred. And there are people on every side that are trying to destroy what I deem sacred. And it's not going to happen. This is the definition of criminal conspiracy, racketeering, and collusion. This is not a theory. This is evidence. Because I have upheld this country to spread the light to the rest of the world. When you choose to go against the sacred thing that God puts into the very heart and the soil of this nation, this was sacred to God. Now is the time to act. This is exactly why I need some action for my people.